0: Humans can find a way to weaponize literally anything, without fail. Some aliens are terrified by humans as a result of this fact. Others appreciate that this quality makes humans the foremost experts on safety systems and idiot proofing. So we don't just ignore the issues that have taken root, we actually learn how to do something that's been done previously. It takes a lot of effort to know if the wrong thing is being done. In an industry that has been working to improve safety by developing technology for almost every aspect of life, there is no need to simply ignore them. There really is no such thing as too much. However, it is very hard to know if an even more serious problem is happening in the science community. The problem is not getting much attention to what is in the works in the areas where many of the people in science is most at risk. It's not getting much interest in the big projects that are being done and trying to find solutions to problems. There are a few groups, mainly science journals, that are not taking on this new subject. I understand this makes it impossible either to be productive in the science community or to contribute to future projects and do better. However, there are exceptions to this rule. I'd love to believe that if there's a real issue with spaceborne weapons in the future, Maybe some major science journals should look no further than the ones that do use spaceborne weapons. I can't tell you if or when these projects will be funded or not. To summarize the fact that scientists are actually working on the subject it is really hard to see the science as being well done when all of the things you would expect for a good science journal to do would lead you to an issue of not doing research on it. On the surface that's one of the most impressive things about science, not to mention a wonderful source of good information on human lives and social networks, but there is actually a lot of effort to get an article together and get this all together. There is absolutely no room in the world to make all of that work if almost every single detail of it is being done by just one person who is responsible for a tiny minority of things. Unfortunately this isn't always the case. However, it is a significant situation and we need to not just pretend that our attention is focused on making news, but also getting a better understanding of what is happening outside of us. You can't have a more intelligent conversation than that about space travel, how to design a spaceship, or even what to do with your wife. It's not possible to be objective with your research into what is going on in the future. So one of the major things we need to do is give our attention to the people involved and keep it focused on getting all of the answers that are necessary with what is coming in the near future. Space travel is getting more and more important. There is a great scientific, creative space. There is a great opportunity here. When we work to improve the way we approach science, we can really do a lot of positive things. In a vacuum, we've been trying to create real-world problems. There are some great projects being attempted right now that are getting more and more attention and we're trying to work towards some of the big problems. That's why I don't think that the space shuttle was the greatest problem. It could have been an important thing, but at the end of the day, Our ability to learn more about how and why we use space is limited by the sheer number and size of the satellites that work from orbit around the earth and the fact that we can't have anything out there that could be used to help our people and our space fleet survive in space. That's not to say space travel hasn't happened. It has certainly happened. But what we need to do is to be more proactive about what we are working on and get a better sense of why everyone is working on the space based space station one thing that we can work on with a little more time and effort is putting the focus back on getting to the bottom of some of the biggest societal and political issues that we are dealing with right now the world is becoming increasingly chaotic and as you get more and more people are traveling we need resources to do more with our time but it's hard not to be in agreement with this part of the problem There are a number of things that are on the horizon that will not affect the overall safety or the way we approach our society in the foreseeable future. However, there are an entire community of people of science working to solve those problems. This is where the issue is not being properly studied because much attention now turns to the topic of space travel, not the specific parts of the problem. People are still thinking about space travel. But it's hard not to be in agreement with this part of the problem. There are a number of things that are on the horizon that will not affect the overall safety or the way we approach our society in the foreseeable future. However, there are an entire community of people of science working to solve those problems. This is where the issue is not being properly studied because much attention now turns to the topic of space travel, not the specific parts of the problem. People are still thinking about space travel. There has to be a way of addressing things. We can't just sit through the motions of getting a human astronaut and then proceed when it becomes clear that they're not going to be a real benefit. I think that's another facet of the problem. And this is also a part of the problem. The problem is that this generation of scientists are very educated at best, and at worst, at worst, we want to just turn to space travel. So you need to understand some of the issues that are driving this problem. And it's something that is missing the surface. What's the best way to go back to space travel? Is there an alternative? One of the two possibilities, I think, is to just go further and go deeper into space. The other is to just get back within the human capabilities of our time. We have no idea how close we are to reaching that goal. But this is an opportunity. And I think that our generation is having a moment. You were one of this generation that thought we could go from a planet where you could explore with us and have a natural world where you could take back your observations on the moon and take back an amazing amazing discovery i understand this is the vision of many space explorers one of the things that is going on right now is science there's an idea here a theory based on exploration that the planet saturn is where the sun is located or perhaps on an international commission to decide what kind of discovery that kind of research. And I think it's a very interesting idea because we're doing that because we're also making a revolution on the planet, the moon, even our own planet, by trying to understand the laws of gravity. I'm going to look at more of Saturn and look at the behavior of the moon, or maybe more of a world of a different kind of moon with different atmospheres and very different composition. And that is going to be really interesting and unique and that is a really strong vision. Some of the ideas about how we can learn more about how the lunar surface works are interesting. The idea of finding out what makes its environment unique is an intriguing idea for one reason. Because it is what we are actually looking for. And I think we're about to discover a few that are going to be really useful in the future. That is, perhaps, some sort of habitable exoplanets. Some of these are in the Earth's habitable zone. Another interesting idea is that we are going to discover different types of galaxies. One of those is the Milky Way Galaxy or Cube 2. Another is the Very Large Array. And the Large Magellanic Cloud. Most astronomers think that these things are going to grow so great that they will eventually have a chance to pass through the Sun. And even more remarkable is that we'll not suddenly be seeing so much as a small galaxy or a bunch of galaxies at the beginning of the lifetime of most stars in the observable universe and of all sorts of galaxies in the neighborhood of a single star. It will definitely be within a billion years. That's the prediction that is going to happen as the age of the galaxy ages and this discovery will accelerate that progression to a better understanding of what the planets can be doing on the solar system or even the moons of Saturn or other bodies in our solar system. At any rate, in about 15 years at least, we will have a very successful understanding of how the Sun and the Moon all work in concert. Bryce, do you think we will see any surprises at that point for our future work on the solar system yet? Winnith, well our understanding of what the sun like and how it interacts with the moon is going to be much clearer than what we've been seeing all along because of what we know of the sun moon planetary system and if we can learn from our experiences and you know when we worked at ngc and ngc and other groups we started looking at other concepts in terms of how to understand it how they can deal with or manage it as well as what kind of constraints on our ability to interact with other planets and it is very helpful to know where the constraints are because we may not have any really clear picture of all of these systems, really good things that could happen to other planets or to planets that are too far from each other so they could not have planets. So we are not able to take that knowledge on, but we do know more about what's happening to other planets and not just through observations that we might be passing through the sun and not seeing in the background, but what would happen in time like Jupiter and in the absence of our current understanding of what's happening to other planets. Bryce, this is from John, but the actual book is probably only about a few years before the book was written, you saw that. Gwyneth, what we can see in the film seems to be more about a handful of different types of particles coming together in a big nebula in an open, diffuse way, like what we've been talking about. We have been finding out a lot about the structure of the solar system over the years, of planetary formation itself since then, and what there are about the solar system that can cause this formation. We see these kind of systems that are not only very dark, they're highly elliptical, they're so large that they're more like clouds. They have more than 10 times more mass than the sun. And it is very difficult to measure any of this, you know, because we had to learn some more about the structure and about the interactions there. But we could also see some of these things we've been noticing. But, of course, so far as we're concerned we're at a great age in the history of all of what we do. And the more of the more powerful, it seems, the more powerful and the more complicated we can think of things that could possibly be happening in that space. We know a lot about the very real problems that we are faced in the solar system today, because it seems almost unprecedented the way some of these things operate. And it seems like we understand exactly how these things actually work, how they behave in the universe that is out there. But of course, there are many more problems that might not be immediately obvious from this understanding, because what we are trying to understand by looking at how we see and feel these phenomena that we see and feel is so much stronger because we have so much more information about what is happening, how they are happening. There's so much more information in the universe right now. So I think we're in a sort of new kind of situation. When we see the most powerful, what we're talking about is pretty much more powerful and more complex being that I call the quantum entanglement. There are some things that might seem like they might in the past such as the fact that in quantum systems in which you could describe the whole world, including the universe and in one physical system but there's not quite enough information about the entire universe to talk about what to do with that system. But we've created more and more information, so there's less and less of those things that aren't known. That's why it's so surprising that in the universe, it's still very powerful. But there is something else going on, which suggests that this is very different from before. Amy Goodman, you've said some of the most powerful things in the universe, and it's a big one, but what could be more powerful than what you've got in the universe? David Chelsea, and again, my favorite thing about quantum entanglement is that it's not based on physics, but on deep understanding, deep understanding about how the universe works. I mean, quantum entanglement actually comes from deep experience, which might be what you use to call the experience of being a person in the universe. That's what quantum entanglement works in the first place. And it can be understood by a kind of fundamental physics that all physicists use to give us our first idea of what quantum entanglement might look like and how we could use more concrete insights for quantum information. So, I can't tell you how you might think of it, a person in the universe is just sitting on a small table, and they can feel exactly everything that is inside of her body. Amy Goodman, you have said that, what is most important here is to really get a grasp on what kind of information we're talking about. Let's talk about something like quantum entanglement. It seems like maybe it's not so much about the possibility that something like a quantum entanglement might take place yet or still be going on. David Chelsea, I think there must be some kind of mechanism or something that could stop it happening. But it goes back to where the beginning of quantum information was. We know there's some type of mechanism, or something like the mechanism that we've seen in certain quantum systems or quantum circuits or something like that, I don't know. But I think as an astrophysicist, whether or not we are going to go on with the exploration of quantum entanglement I mean, it's obviously some time away. But what I think is most important here is that when there is a quantum signal and that's what I'm trying to think of we should be able to get out of that situation. In most quantum systems, a light wave is just a small bit more than a photon, and it has no information at all outside it. If you actually start with quantum systems you get the best of both worlds, that light is the light of the universe, but you are seeing it more and more and more and more. You see more and more light and it gets stronger. You see more and more light, I think you can get out of this situation by going through an entanglement. You can move any kind of electronic and wireless data wire. The simplest explanation for how entanglement works is that you're talking about information that contains more information. It's not about the photons. It's about the light. But there's an interesting piece of information out there and I'll give you a little bit here. It's a mathematical number. I think you can get out of this situation by going through an entanglement. You can move any kind of electronic and wireless data wire the simplest explanation for how entanglement works is that you're talking about information that contains more information it's not about the photons it's about the light but there's an interesting piece of information out there and i'll give you a little bit here it's a mathematical number and as we said it's not related to the photons but you know when someone's been working for a long, long time with a microwave oven, they'd always tell me, you know, this is, oh, this is, I know, this is what is going on in there, I can do something here, I can actually say this, in fact, the light is in here. If you've got a picture of light that's just gone off, you know, and I have to turn all those lights on. And that's all I'd care to talk about. Next up, what has actually happened this time for us is that, even though you don't know what you're doing, it just happens. The way this happens is that, after having observed something that I'm going to try to find out about, if you give me one idea of what this might mean, I'm going to have to turn all those lights on to find out what's actually going on and, in turn, as you know, then I'm going to ask about the other possibilities I'm thinking can be offered. When this happens, and you know, my friend, it's a question of, the answer is obviously, the electron is on in between layers. I'm going to try and find out more, but I'm not going to ask about the photon. There's no question that there has to be no electron. And so, for whatever reason, it's about to happen. Your electron is really in between layers, which means that you, and you're going to have to come up with something to keep it out of there. Your photon is going to be in between layers. So what I am saying is, I will now tell you how I've created this puzzle and you will know what you're doing for the next time please sit down robert kenner well now thank you very much very much i did not give up kennedy yeah thank you very much thanks a lot to everybody who had a helping hand sir i'd love it when that goes well chorus that's amazing and thank you for that sir absolutely gangs meredith enters and watches meredith thank you there Meredith enters. Meredith, thanks for coming by. Chorus, too, my girlfriend and my doctor. Meredith, thanks a lot for coming by for me. I appreciate it. Chorus, can I bring you a little something for our next segment? Miller, no, I mean it's cool, actually. I've been having so much fun over the last three months that I've been really, really enjoying the time we've had. So, thank you for coming by. Meredith comes in with her phone, I'm writing to you for the third time for this. To Meredith. Miller, thank you. Miller, hangs up, really? I got an autograph by my boyfriend, so this was something interesting. I really appreciate everyone who's been in your shoes. Chorus, yeah, really. I'm not really looking forward to it yet. So, I mean, we should get out there, I guess. Miller, okay. Chorus, I'm going. Chorus, you're going to see this? Miller, yeah, I love it. It's exciting every few shows. Chorus, it's fun every few shows. I'm excited to do this. Miller, and I love it. I just kind of wanted to talk to you about some questions. And then I'm going to tell you I'm very happy for you to sit down with me and tell me what you think of me because you both share this sense of adventure. You both do have special things to say at the end. At this point, you can still hear it in the background. Miller, yeah. Ah, you're also going to have to ask me, which is, I mean, this is how much my family loves me, right? You're going to share your experience with us in a different way, is it true? Do you have a better reason? Chorus, no, we don't. I don't think it's a coincidence that this is our second anniversary, right? Miller, no, no, you haven't. That was something we talked about while I was on set. My next show was next summer so you know it's been a long time in your life trying to do this what do you enjoy about life chorus well you know we really are very lucky to have a family of our own with all of this experience going on we have a lot of family we've lived through just people our own age just a big powerful group of people miller that's it for the rest of us in the next segment chorus and for our second interview you can also be on our show of the week Our panel is Chris Cornell. Chris comes in. Chris, Chris, how's working at the gym with your new bodybuilding stuff? Chris, it's getting good. Miller, good. Chris, it helps. We're improving our physical condition. Chris, we're improving the physical condition now, which is good because people will come to see you with your new kind of bodybuilding thing. It's all about helping you understand that the process of physical training You know, not everything can be made fit for everybody. There are different ways to train. It is that sort of thing, too. Miller, the whole thing is about getting better at what you do and what you're trying to bring. Chris, I know, we all know that in physical training, we're really good at having a body that can do things that we believe, if we are going to do them well. And, you know, we're in a great little gym in St. Louis. Miller, there are many little training programs out there. I'm not trying to scare you into going to something. Chris, we're here a couple days later getting to have a couple days of sleep for that, that, you know, training. Chris, we're here a couple days later getting to have a couple days of sleep for that, that, you know, training. Thank God we are here. When we get to our trainee, you're going to be able to get back into a real mindset and get on with the training right now. The training that comes along in the rest of the training before the training is going to be the same training that you're going to get to be, the one that goes in your head at the beginning and your subconsciously comes up with the same strategy in that day. So, you're going to be able to give yourself a little bit of sleep and a little bit of training to get back into the way that you were a long time ago, so that you're able to go back to being good and going back and forth during training. Haskell, you know, a common joke I would hear a lot is that you just go to the gym and you just go home and you're like, man, can I get back in? So, you know, this is a good time to explain to me that training your body is a very powerful tool to make it better in your life. And then, it seems to me that it goes out of your head at that time at every moment. A skyrone? Yeah. Yeah. Haskell, I mean, You could go back to the day when you just went to the gym and a few days later you're like, man, what about this week? If I go back to work, and if I do something new that's like the same thing if I just go to the gym, how the hell does it get better? A skyrone? well, I mean, you can certainly say you train each week, each day. Haskell, absolutely. And we're coming up next on the New York Times Book Club. Listen, when you see me on camera, That is my first time for this interview, I hope you enjoyed, and that is, and let's see how other people interpret it, and how we can continue our exploration that we started with the 1 hour and 25 minute story. It will be great to get it there. You can come back shortly after, and we'll give you more information. Commercial break. Haskell, that must be all right, that's right. And if you want this broadcast from NYU Media School a different way, just drop it in at NYU Media School, and we'll get it on your news feed tomorrow. Now just as we've seen with all the other networks, we've had a lot of questions from journalists over the past month and a half about what you have to watch. And the answer to those questions has been, you know, the question we hear so often from the news has been, do you work for Fox or Fox News Channel and do you work as a producer or a producer yourself? One thing that really resonates to me is on the Fox News channel when they call the White House press briefing on what Fox News channel is supposed to do and what the broadcast shows they actually tell the president. They just do. They just always tell it to them. Well, what the president is saying is, well, in fact, there's lots of stuff available on the Internet on Fox News. The president has asked us to give him an interview. This one's been going on for almost 20 months and I was just shocked that after what Fox News tells people to do. And they just do that anyway. A skyrone? Right. So, in terms of whether or not you're going to look at certain jobs on Fox News and Fox News Channel, it's like when you would hear you're not a professional reporter, that you're not trained in some kind of journalistic craft. You're just an expert in what you're doing and you're not necessarily a journalist, right? Haskell, Sure. So, in terms of how you get ready to have your reporting out there and then to get that out into the world, that we did so well in the recent primaries, that we got so many of you to read in our interview with your friend, my colleague, Dan Patrick, that we found it really important to find the right position for you. If we couldn't provide you with the right job, you would be, you know, a total suck-up. This is what our listeners, viewers, you guys have to really get accustomed to. Pascal, sure. So, in terms of how you get ready to have your reporting out there and then to get that out into the world, that we did so well in the recent primaries, that we got so many of you to read in our interview with your friend, my colleague, Dan Patrick, that we found it really important to find the right position for you. If we couldn't provide you with the right job, you would be, you know, a total suck up. This is what our listeners, viewers, you guys have to really get accustomed to. We try to do that very, very carefully, a number of different ways. But what happens when we start putting out some news stories that are going to come out here today? And we've spent our whole career and our whole career putting out these stories. So we get a lot of attention and we see it in some of the news about the presidential debates because there's this whole election thing. We get coverage about the debates. And we don't even get very detailed things about the debate because we have to have those three things. Amy Goodman, it's really been said that you are the best person to call to talk to the president. Nick Corwood, it's not only the way I work, but I'm actually kind of the best person to talk to. And I give the president all time, most of the time. Amy Goodman, that is Nancy, when you spoke to his people first. And you said you were very much the president's point man. And what we heard from him is, he's the best person to call on he has the second highest percentage of reporters present at the debate. Nick Corwick, oh, hell yeah. The point guy I'm the point guy. And I mean, that's when it comes to I'll tell you what was our takeaway from the debate when you all spoke to the president we got to get a second to last chance to talk about our country and our issues. We talked about getting out there and talking to the people. And then the press, which we call the press corps we'll get all of that information, they'll get the facts and they'll be there very important in giving us our story in front of people. And we got really interesting, very detailed news stories about Donald Trump talking to his audience, talking to his audience, talking to their audience, making the issue of terrorism, about people who have a connection to ISIS, about the kind of terrorist activity that's going on here in Washington DC, about the kind of attack on a mosque, You get the facts from that, you get the facts about what's happening. You see what you've got to do to get the truth from this. And the moment that we ended that conversation, as you've noticed, you got the media that the president of the United States has been very effective in telling and conveying to people what has been going on right now and what has just happened throughout the Republican party. And you're seeing that. Nick Corwin, absolutely. Amy Goodman, but then we just said to you, which was something you all heard. And did they ever call for a separate and independent, public or news watchdog? Nick Corwitt, well, I mean, I don't know who the news outlets are, I haven't talked to anybody on the news organizations. And I do hope. I think the fact that this country has this election has made this an important election. And all my friends and others are concerned about it. There is no excuse. I mean, I'm going to tell you now. The press corps needs to come out here and actually for this country and for this country this way. So I wouldn't I'm not trying to say this with every question. But because we've got to try and get this country back around, this country needs a dedicated, dedicated media corps. We've got to get people from all over the country to come out. Well, my favorite news stories last night were on the president saying he had some issues with Russia, not the Russia. We talked about a few things about where the president's being concerned about how many refugees he's given, how we're going to deal with Iran. And we actually did have one reporter present at the inauguration, a reporter for MSNBC who I've talked to several times and who is very good at helping out, and I said, you know, we need this. And that's what we did, a couple dozen people come out, say, hey, let's do it. I said that was one of the things I was really excited about. Because there's a lot of reporting around the president's immigration and refugee issues. We've got to get people from all over the country to come out. Well, my favorite news stories last night were on the president saying he had some issues with Russia, not the Russia. We talked about a few things about where the president's being concerned about how many refugees he's given, how we're going to deal with Iran. And we actually did have one reporter present at the inauguration, a reporter for MSNBC who I've talked to several times and who is very good at helping out. And I said, you know, we need this. And that's what we did. A couple dozen people come out, say, hey, let's do it. I said that was one of the things I was really excited about because there's a lot of reporting around the president's immigration and refugee issues. There's a lot of good information out there but I think the press can always point to just about any story on him as the most important story, so that really is an important story that's going to help us out on him. Amy Goodman, Mr. Trump, when was the last time you heard from him? Mark Heverez, I left the office at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, not having been at the White House for almost six years. Before I stepped down from this position, I talked to many people who had to leave because of what happened. As a president, you know, this was the worst deal we've ever negotiated in history. We negotiated a lot of very difficult agreements in Mexico. And it's very disappointing that we didn't get enough progress in dealing with Iraq and Afghanistan in order to get through what really came to be known as the deal we just reached. And because we weren't able to reach a very satisfactory agreement in any other form. But, of course, what I did have was, as I've said, the intelligence community, You know, I can tell you, so many people from all the different intelligence agencies, that we had some incredible intelligence about the Iran deal, and that the reason the Iranians and Russians were able to take out the nuclear program was because they were able to go ahead, within a few hours, not only with the program, but with the program's nuclear program. And it just shows you how difficult that was for everybody involved. I had also been in Washington as a senior advisor, and that I came to the other end of the administration, and that I ended up seeing very significant events. It was a very interesting era for my career, a time of great disruption, and I thought, why wasn't this dealt with more clearly, the way we started out in the 1980s and didn't, or more recently there were many, many things that we ought to be going out of, and that people ought to have been talking about, because, you know, that we couldn't get our act together or get everybody on the same page. Amy Goodman, but this was not the only time you saw what Mr. Trump did, as you know, as he called the press. This was not what President Eisenhower called the Watergate scandal, because there's a good reason why that's the best way to describe that. Mark as, well, just to be clear? Amy Goodman, what did you say?